Shakespeare told stories with poetry. So let the Turk of Cyprus us beguile. We lose it not so long as we can smile. Puccini and Rossini told stories that way too. And so do this week's guests. I never knew my pops. Moms was a junkie. Raised in the streets with the beast that a funky. Concrete and metal. A child of the ghetto. Looking for the loop, but there was none for a dello. I walked by people smoking some rock. How do you explain From the Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. This podcast is called Something Then in Rhyme. Since 2002, Gregory and Jeffrey Amin Kayum, better known as GQ and JAQ, the Q brothers, have been using hip-hop to adapt and update the plays of William Shakespeare. Their first show, The Bombity of Errors, ran for months off-Broadway. They followed that with Funk It Up About Nothing for Chicago Shakespeare Theater. Q Gents with the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Rome Sweet Rome at the University of Iowa, and I Heart Juliet at Connecticut College. At the time we recorded this podcast, they were back in New York with Othello, the remix. I survived the impossible. Caught in gang crossfire and crawled to the hospital. My hood was riots and uprising. Mama's so cracked out she don't recognize me. Othello is a rapper who rockets to stardom when he teams up with a diva named Desdemona. Othello hands out favors to the members of his crew, but he's not fair about it, which leaves the rapper, Iago, jealous that he's not getting his share of the limelight. GQ and JAQ took time out between performances to talk with Barbara Bogave. And before we hear their talk, here's a little more of the show. This is the song that introduces us to Othello. It's called Never Gonna Stop. Who really loved me? Who can I trust now? Who can I call to say I'm safe when I touch down? You could have it all, but you wouldn't care a bit. But you had someone you could share it with. Share my riches? It don't really suit me when all I meet a superficial party going groupies. I won't be satisfied here. Well, to start off, let's make sure that everyone listening who hasn't seen one of your shows can visualize it and hear it while while we're talking. And full disclosure, I've only seen clips. So if you could describe the show for us. Is your show an opera, a play, a musical with some talking and then rapping? Uh, the whole thing is in rhyme and the whole thing has music, so it's much more of an opera than it is a traditional musical. There are bigger songs in it that sort of, when a giant moment happens, it sort of turns into a song. But in between that is really where we dive into the meat of Shakespeare. Now, to back it up, uh, after the musical, the rap numbers, you have beats that continue. Help us imagine that. Do, do you then recite dialogue over the beat or what? How, does it continue to rhyme? It yeah. continues to rhyme. It continues to be overbeat. That's why it's more like an opera than a traditional musical, because you still have your musical numbers, but in between, it's still over music. It's still in rhyme, and and that's where... All the all the rapting, as we call it, happens. It's, it's uh, we're rapping, but we're acting, and that's where we get to um, show the depth of character and play, um, you know, real moments that Shakespeare would have been playing as well. Can you give us an idea of that? Can you do some of that right now? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. sure. Iago, Rodrigo, 
This is so tragic. Like when I lost the Black Lotus card playing Magic, they're getting married. Now there's no chance for me. What am I supposed to do now, Yago? Answer me. You can't know what love is till you let your gun blast. And you've never even spoken with her, dumbass. I've always known she's the only one for me. I'm booting down my CPU. End of story. Oh my god, you are the biggest nerd. That's the most pathetic thing I've ever friggin' heard. If Desdemona heard you spit in this patter, she'd be totally turned off, kid. That's why you ain't getting at her. <laughs> so something like that. <laughs> you know, it's great. I'm having that experience that I have. I, I'm, I've seen maybe, I don't know, scores and scores of, of Shakespeare plays. And, and in the first 10 minutes, I always feel like, oh, man, this is hard. I have to, I have to, it takes me that amount of time to, like, get into the rhythm of the language yeah. and to feel like I understand it. And I can imagine in your show, it's a little bit like that, too. Wisely said. That's yeah. very, very true. Um, you we, see people struggle the same way that we feel the struggle when we go see Shakespeare. You see people struggle like, oh, my God, these are, there's a lot of words. Uh, and there's beat. And then, but they're like, but wait, I can hear all the words. And I actually do understand the story they're telling. It's like, you know how at one point in, in the Shakespeare production that you go see where you feel that? You just have to sit back and like let it wash over you and trust that you'll understand it. Right, you have to stop trying so hard. Yeah, yes. you don't, when you stop trying and you, you realize that like... I'm not going to understand every single word here, but the context should be strong enough that I should be able to just, like, receive most of it if I just lay back and let it hit me, you know? Right, and then you feel something. Yeah, exactly. I want to play some of your rap, too, and we have some clips. Uh, Here's one from your current show in New York at the Westside Theater, Othello the Remix, and this one's uh, Iago on Jealousy. Wonder why, man? Wonder why, man? Tell you why I'm mad, check it. Three of the hottest hip-hop producers in town told them my album should drop next and that I should throw down. Now I know what I should be, I know what I'm worth, but Othello just ignores me and says, Cassio's first. Yo, battle after battle after battle with this crew. I murdered mad MCs, but what's Othello do? He deals the freshman a fresh hand, and he makes him his best man, and lessens my chances by making me yes man. Oh, Cassio's this, oh, Cassio's that. He don't know Jack, cause Cassio can't rap. He's a poster child, pinup boy in a land of pop. I'm half man, half beastie boy, we're not My is John Blaze, this kid is just an actor I live what I say, he's just a candy rapper He's anything but hot, and I get the cold shoulder His EP needs a MD crossover Every time he make noise, I get annoyed man I heard his latest song and he belong in a boy band He make music for little There's some great sick burns in there about Casio I heard his latest song and he belong in a boy band <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So clearly you don't try to stick to any iambic pentameter or, or strict rhythms, but it is mostly rhyming couplets. Yeah, so it's just in 4-4 four, four rhythm. I just We just sort of feel like, um, you know, perhaps iambic pentameter was the super hot rhythm of Shakespeare's day, but it certainly is not anymore. Um, and so when we look at the world today, we look at it through a hip-hop lens. We grew up listening and loving and performing hip-hop all the time and so when we look at a story and say we could do something with this as poets the same way that Shakespeare did that to the Greeks we just think oh let's put it in our type of poetry which is subdividing over a 4-4 beat Uh, and do do we ever though hear any of Shakespeare's actual lines or poetry in your shows yeah there's little elements left woven fragments I would say yeah woven throughout um, I mean, there's also like like when you come to our show and there's, you know, Desdemona has 
moments after she's dead where she keeps talking and we make jokes about that there's a lot of stuff in there for the Shakespeare heads that know the script because <laughs> it's a true retelling but we're also uh, spoofing it a little bit and so there's some extra fun there if you have intimate knowledge of the original Right, and we're going to talk a bit more about what's in there for the Shakespeare heads, but just so I get a fix on the music, your scenes are two-bar loops, I've read. What exactly does that mean, and is there a DJ? There is a DJ as part of your performance. Mm -hmm. Is the DJ orchestrating these loops and spinning records, or what? He is um, manipulating those loops live, so they're two- and four-bar loops, usually for the scenes. Um, What we found is that when you're creating music for a scene that has to have dynamics and go up and down, if the music is too fleshed out and is more than just sort of a nod at a mood, then it binds the actor, it handcuffs the actor, and they can't play light moments and heavy moments and do as much with it because it's sort of dictating what they can do. Whereas if we keep the beats more skeletal in between bigger songs, the actor has a much can lead sort of the, the plot of the story and the feelings. And um, make choices, make acting choices and turn on a dime and exactly. f- you know, flesh out deep in the character basically as they would if there were no beat and they were playing a, a realistic scene in some other play. So one of the things that it does is it makes it incredibly difficult to perform because it's fast and you can't fall off. Because what happens is if it's if you're on a two-bar loop and everything's in rhyming couplets and you fall back, then the punchline won't land as the beat loops. And your body as an audience member and your brain naturally want that anticipation and then landing of each punchline of each rhyme you know we expect it and so if we fall behind and we're on the what we call the back half of the beat then the whole the thing doesn't land wow it sounds really intricate it's like a dance it It is is. it's very much like a verbal dance on top of that we're dancing while we do it too. (laughs) (laughs) oh that's really fascinating now othello the remix it's it's just one show in a slew of these shakespeare adaptations that you've done, as as we heard in the introduction from Mike Whitmore earlier. But it sounds like when you first started working together, Shakespeare wasn't the idea at all. It wasn't even on the, the table. You only went with Shakespeare because you ran out of time on another <laughs> concept, right? Well, yep. What yeah. was the original idea or inspiration well, for your first show, which was uh, Bomity of Errors? The original concept was uh, just to mix Hip-hop and theater, you know, I was at the Experimental Theater Wing at Tisch School of the Arts at NYU, and I was very much inspired by hip-hop and theater at the time. And um, the initial, it was a final project for me, like an independent project, and and I, the, the idea was to mix hip-hop and theater with the theme of what it means to be a boy. Because I asked three of my guy friends to write it with me, and we were we were all rapping on the streets in New York, but we were in conservatory training at the same time. And you know, it's like it's part something in hip hop. You're like, oh yeah, that's my boy, that's my boy. You're like, are you and your boys gonna be there? And it just kind of like struck me as like, what what does that really mean? And like, and how are we now 
not boys and how are we still boys like when we were 10 years old and playing on a playground and and why gangs form or why you know i was just fascinated with that so but then <clears throat> but then two weeks <laughs> two weeks deep out of a five-week process we only had two pages of anything so <laughs> oh um, no <laughs> we were like you know my boys my boys were like uh, <laughs> it's a cool idea and all bro but um we uh we need something to perform so we should adapt something and then we started throwing around like kafka i'm a big fan of kafka and then um someone brought up dickens and then um, one of the guys, Red Dragon, he shouted out Shakespeare, and well, he had seen like a version, <clears throat> a version of the Comedy of Errors done with four people, and we started translating the first stanza, and it just, it it made, it was an aha moment, it was a an epiphanal kind of thing. Thirty years ago, in New York City, this biddy named Betty that was oh so pretty met an MC by the name of MC Ageon, who could get him jumping no matter what stage he's on. MC Age would grab the mic and rock it, take the crowd, pull him in and stick him in his pocket. Nobody could knock it. He was an innovator. In a freestyle match, you never had a prayer. He was a metaphor for hip-hop in its early stages. A true art form that would last for ages. Now MC Ageon and Betty Betty got locked up. Mary, that is. Then Betty got knocked up. Pregnant. I mean, what was it about Shakespeare that clicked for you as rap? The most basically I could put it is Shakespeare was using musical language and poetry to tell stories. A master storyteller who used poetry and musical language. And that's what the best rappers are. That's the best rappers we grew up to were, were master storytellers who used poetry and musical language. I mean, that to me, I was convinced that if Shakespeare were alive now, that there's there's no way he'd be doing anything else besides being a rapper. Now MCE had never been good choosing names, so without much thought, he named two pairs the same. One he named Antipholus, the other Dromeo. The next he named Antipholus, and then another Romeo. In the next few years, times were very rough. When it came down to money, he never had enough. Four times as many. And when you say that Shakespeare uses uh, music to tell a story, do you mean you recognized as you were doing those line-by-line -line translations in college that that these were musical forms that you recognize the yeah. a a b a or whatever the, um, the rhyming yeah. couplets as as music what what yeah, in music the, in the gut like actually a, a this uh, is experimental theater wing, so I don't think it was that heady. No, it wasn't, and, and it actually, I was in it my was first doing Shakespeare. It, right? it was from doing it. It was previous to actually translating it, where I felt like Shakespeare was mm -hmm. music. It was a, a production of Troilus and Cressida at the experimental theater wing, and it was a main stage production, and it was, we would spend, uh, you know, experimental theater is about, like, physically-based acting and six viewpoints and Peter Brook and, I mean, all kinds of master teachers from all over the world. And so we would spend, like, hours doing exercises on, like, two lines of material, spending two hours with that starting on the ground after, after doing some crazy physical thing where your, your, your body and your blood is pumping. You lay on the ground and you're in the dark and your eyes are closed and then you're talked through some sort of meditation and you choose a, an animal that your character would be and you let that impulse come out physically. And, and over the course of two hours, you get to... you actually vocalize those lines and you find out that certain vowel sounds that he used evoke certain emotions certain consonants inform you know how evil a character is or not oh that's music 
that's music. And I don't think he was saying, I'm going to use more consonants to make it evil. I think that's like, he was he was works. physically based writing and yeah. we're physically based acting his words. And, and, and his stuff wasn't ever meant to be read. It's a really good like, point. Physically based writing. He wasn't writing it to be read. He was writing it to be performed. And so when he when he would write a passage and similar to the way that we write a passage you don't go like is this going to be good to be read you say no like you may not even read this as a rhyme right now but when it's said correctly you will totally hear it as a rhyme and you will hear pieces of my puzzle I'm a press in a place and I can tell his work and see the stress on his face you know that you can tell that that guy is angry when he says that rhyme those consonants and those vowel sounds tell you that you know right and a lot of people don't get Shakespeare until they see it on stage was that your experience too for you guys completely completely. not me but yeah it was my it was mine until i until i actually performed it on stage and then i i saw a few things after that where i i started to understand it better and that's Um, ug that's g and i had read that you really hated reading shakespeare in school right that you had a violent reaction to it i did i did what happened threw the book down i cried to my mom i was probably 12 years old at the time so cut to when i'm 18, 19 years old, and then have to perform it. Um, <laughs> but why did it get to you so much that you were angry and physical and crying? I had a reading, I mean, they called it a reading disability. Um, I couldn't read nearly as well as what my eight-year-old niece quickly, is reading right now. Quickly, quickly, not as well. I couldn't, uh, just, I, it took me a long time to get through words and to retain them because I, I was a perfectionist about it. Like I would spend ten seconds on each word because when I looked at the word, I wanted to picture it and feel it and do all these things with that word. That by the time I got to the end of a sentence, I had no idea what the whole thing meant. Um, and that, you know, now that I say that out loud, like translating Shakespeare, <laughs> you line, were always an actor. <laughs> line, yeah, <laughs> and and it, it was it was exhausting. I mean, like I was playing sports for four hours a day after school, and then I come home to six hours of homework. Like my mom is like. It's, it should take two hours to do your homework. Um, so I think it was part exhaustion why I was so frustrated, but it was also like, I can't understand this. This is not for everyone. This is like rich white people go see something and, or like want to learn something. It, that was like my, my my limited perception of what it was. But I think I felt like excluded and that this was like some highbrow material that um, was trying to make fun of me somehow. What about you, Jay? I always loved it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? It's really funny. Yeah, like, I mean, and you would think, like, I, I was not in acting at all. I didn't, like, I'm just a music head, and I just, like... Although I read that your mom's nickname for you was the foul-mouthed poet. <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah, imagine Shakespeare's mother calling him that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. true. <laughs> so, no, my, uh, I mean, my perception of it immediately was like, oh, this is a code, and I can crack it. Oh, I get it. Like, wherefore means why. And then I just substitute in my head, and I just fly through this. And, and it was fun. It was like a puzzle to figure out. And I just, like, once I figured out the puzzle and there was something funny in there, that was like an Easter egg to me. And then I was just like, oh, this is great. Like, there's all these horrible things and hilariously sexual things that my teachers would never allow us to say. And they're teaching them to me. (laughs) And, like, I don't think half the class realizes how racy this stuff is. But I thought that was so ironic and funny that it got me into it, you know? Well, how did did you both then end up in theater, though? And I'm thinking you you both came up in Chicago in the 70s and improv was, was huge 
huge then. Were, were you into that as kids? No, we were into breakdancing. Yeah, it was more like 80s. We were born in the late 70s, so that, so really we were like, we were into breakdancing and, you know, and we never had an inkling toward theater. Well, actually, Jay did uh, some theater earlier. But it was just like, because like, this girl I liked was there. <laughs> I mean, it was not like, you um, know. But we, we, we now look back and we were we were making up our own game shows on a Fisher Price um, <coughs> tape recorder and, and coming <laughs> up with characters. Do that? So yeah, so but we were doing all these voices and like looking back, like we like had we were improv and we, we were, were improv. It was all improv. Oh, yeah? Did you rap together as kids too? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was mostly we were like we would rap songs like that exist. yeah songs like Beastie Boys songs and Run old DMC. school rap songs, Curtis Blow and Houdini. <clears throat> so I guess we were rapping and doing theater uh, improv. Some sort. We hadn't mixed them together, and and we were both we, we were really sports driven, and uh, got into you know theater like my senior year in high school when I quit the lacrosse team. I was supposed to be the captain of a state championship team, one of three captains, and I, I, I at the time it was an all male school, so I got I was like, you guys, we don't meet enough girls, so I got five of my guy friends to go audition at the spring musical down the block at the all girls school, and. Uh, and I gave up lacrosse for it, and I got the part of the scarecrow in The Wiz, and then I won Best Actor in a Musical, and then I was like, okay, that's a cool way to leave high school. And now you've been invited to write shows at a number of colleges. So how, how did that happen? It's usually through, like, a personal connection, but what happens is somebody sees our shows, and they say, like, you know, my... I would love... Because it's a new form of acting, um, and so... And it's also... I think what teachers and educators of of theater realize is that it reinforces good habits like like forces you to not take a lot of space to do things and not be feeling yourself enough to take a giant pause here because there's no pause to take you have to go and so uh, I think educators get excited by the form because they know that their students are going to be amped when we get there to teach them and so we go there but under the understanding that we will build a piece and work with their students and get to workshop it the whole time, and then it will end in a production, and then we get to leave with our script um, and all the rights to it. So for us to have like a a way to incubate uh, material <clears throat> is amazing, and they get this one of a kind experience that they would have never got because we need that opportunity to make our art. So you guys have been at this a really long time, 17 years, right? And you started back there with Bomb of Errors. And now now you're back in New York 18 years later, and Hamilton has happened and in, in, in the Heights. And, and it seems like those shows, I would imagine, would make it both easier and maybe harder to get the word out about a new hip-hop show. I mean, how are things different for you now than they were back in 1999 when you first did this and well, you know do you still only need one good notice in the New York Times to, to bring out a decent crowd no no then we, we'd be sold out for the next three years if that were true but you do need those things but it's much different than when we were here back then because at the time everyone who saw it like came out and were like Wow, I didn't like. I didn't think I liked. I actually I, liked that. Yeah, I like people would say <laughs> I actually. There they, was a big compliment. Was I actually liked it? And so we took it in stride, being like, "Okay, cool. You expected to hate it, and you liked it." And they're like, "Yes," but like it, for them to stay after and have to tell us that is a huge testament. So like, but yeah. that happened a lot, a lot back then, and I think. That and now everyone loves Hamilton, so... It, well, exactly. So I think one great thing, I mean, there's probably many great things about it. I, we, we're totally for <laughs> hip-hop 
growing on every single level. And so like one awesome thing that we can point to that Hamilton and Lin-Manuel has done for our uh, work is that people now have less of a preconceived notion that they uh, something they can let go of. They, they, the public now perceives hip-hop as accessible in theater. It's not just that. It's like the Roots are the Tonight Show band. It's like hip-hop is, is pop culture now in mm-hmm. a way. And so for hip-hop purists like Iago in our show, he's really lamenting that fact. It, but ultimately, like that's a good thing for us and it's a good thing for hip-hop and it's a good thing for people bringing an alternative view i mean for us we had to dig for hip-hop and find other people that liked it and copy tapes and it was counterculture and it's not anymore well i really love talking with you and i really wish you a great run thank, thank you, you so much thank you so much it's a great pleasure us on. great pleasure for us to speak with you as well great questions and we love that you did all kinds of good research yes <laughs> you, you know it yes we not baba hanging with baba yeah you know we fine yes it's shakespeare redefined yes i meant it shakespeare reinvented all kinds of ways you know we are not on vacation gq and jq doing adaptations yes that's who we are hanging out studios at mpr huh across the way across the coast Yes, you know, we gon' bring the most to go. Yeah, cause we rock it like no other. It's the Folger Library Podcast, Q Brothers, and we ripping it. Versus stay intricate. Yeah, it's like a pancake, cause we be flipping it. Uh, like a spatula, I rap for ya. Me and G always do that. And we GQ that. and JAQ are the Q Brothers, Gregory and Jeffrey Amin Kayum. At the time we recorded this, in 2017, their show, Othello, the remix, was running off-Broadway at the West Side Theater. They were interviewed by Barbara Bogave. Something Then in Rhyme was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern-Pastor and Esther Farrington. We had help from Alana Karpoff and Rachel Singer of the theater management company Jeffrey Richards Associates. Angie Hamilton-Lowe at NPR West in Culver City, California, and Devin Meller and Camille Smiley at NPR in New York. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, the Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge in the arts. You can find more about the Folger at our website, folger.edu. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore.